All right, let's take our Bibles and go to um, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation uh, chapter 21. And this is one of those messages, uh, to be honest with you, I had something else uh, earlier in the week, and I got reading this portion of Scripture. My wife and I were reading together in our morning devotions. We always take a chapter and, and read it together besides our own personal reading, and this message just jumped right out at me, but we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21 and the first eight verses, and we're going to look at eight new things in eight verses in Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, uh, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you'd help us in these moments we have together. We're certainly grateful we could come here freely uh, today and worship you. Uh, without uh, fear of being shut down uh, by our government or the police or anyone else. We, uh, we actually live in a country, Lord, where our rights to do this are protected. And Lord, we know there's a lot of brethren, even now, around the world, and uh, in other time zones, and yesterday or tomorrow, or whatever the case may be on the Lord's Day, uh, they don't have that. Uh, they, they do this in, in fear, they do this underground, they do this in secret. And Lord, uh, for them, we pray this morning for your, your hand of blessing and mercy upon them. And Father, for us, a spirit of gratefulness as we head into this new year. Uh, Lord, uh, we wake up uh, still in this country. We wake up still knowing you. We wake up this morning still having your word. And so, Lord, may it be proclaimed faithfully this morning. Please use it. Uh, Lord, I know that uh, I'm pretty good at getting in the way of what you're trying to do. So, Lord, uh, I ask that you would help me to say only those things that please you and that would be edifying and of benefit uh, to your people. And we pray especially for that one without Christ. Uh, we pray, Lord, that this would be the day of days for them. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. New Year's. We talk about new things. And people like new things. And people make resolutions at New Year's. Everybody talks about weight. Everybody talks about exercise. Everybody talks about being a, a better person. Uh, Christians will uh, turn to their stewardship and think in terms of more uh, perhaps faithfulness in church attendance, Bible reading, uh, giving, uh, things of that nature. Uh, we like new things. Uh, a baby is something new. The promise and excitement and the hope a new car, the smell of the new car, but of course there's the payments of the new car. The new house, the ambiance on it, uh, the meaning of it, the American dream. Uh, newlyweds with their oblivious smile pasted on their face for at least a whole year. Uh, the new job, <coughs> excuse me, uh, with the new boss. <coughs> oh, and at the new job, boss is great, and the fellow employees are great. And everything is great, for now. <laughs> and uh, the newcomer, the adjustments made when the newcomer comes. And sometimes it's an old thing ma made better. When the Europeans came to the New World, they started New York. 
they started New Jersey, <clears throat> they started uh, New Hampshire, in all of this in New England. Of course, north of there was New Brunswick, New Brunswick, and south of there was New Orleans and New Mexico. New things hold out promise. New things hold out hope. Uh, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better things. And those are new things given to us by God. And I want to look at eight things in this particular chapter that are new. One for every one of these verses that I believe will be a blessing and encouragement to all of us. First of all, if you look at verse 1, you see a new heaven and a new earth. And the first earth uh, is passed away. And the Bible says, and there was no more sea. Uh, Peter talks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, take your Bibles and turn there for a second if you would. A, a new heaven and a, and a new earth. And when I think of a new heaven and a new earth, I, I think to myself, my, 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 what a... When I think of even this, this fallen earth, this fallen earth or, or the heavens, the Bible says the heavens aren't clean in his sight. Yet on a, a clear crystal night, when you can see those stars, how majestic it really is. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So people worried about global warming, uh, God's going to perform global scorching here. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, notice what he says here. He says, seeing then that, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ye ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. And uh, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt uh, with a fervent heat. So what is he saying here? Well, this puts material things in perspective. When he says, seeing all these things are going to be dissolved, uh, what, what manner of, of men and women should we be in light of all of this? Well, uh, it, it's an easy conclusion to come to. All of this that we see around us is temporary. It's temporary. Now, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. The stuff we see around us, the terra firma under our feet, and even the heavens themselves are temporary, but we're not. We're not. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But a, a new heaven and a, a, a new earth. And when I get looking at the one we have now, I, I'm simply amazed at such a thought. These snow-capped mountains. You know, some people, they got to be by the ocean. I, I, I want to say I get it. I don't. But I get it because I like being around the mountains. I, I just like that they're there. Uh, I love to see them when there's snow on them. I like to see them when there's snow on them on a blue sky day and the billowy clouds going by and the, the beautiful blue sky and the sunshine. Just these simple things of creation. And then my Bible tells me that God's going to burn the whole thing up and make it all new again. Do you ever wonder what it'll look like? Folks, the intimation is very strong. It's going to be better. God's not going to make it all over again and make it worse. He's not going to make it all over again and make it less beautiful. It's going to be better than it was before. And so we see a, a, a new heaven and a new earth. And then if you look at verse 2, you look at verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And here I see a new city, a new city. Do you know that old Jerusalem exists in anguish? Today, it exists in anguish, especially among God's people. Constant threats from enemies surrounding it, day and night. Uh, eternal vigilance, so to speak, for them just, just to stay alive, just to keep from being attacked. And here I see a new Jerusalem. And notice it's called a holy city. A holy city. Now, I was born in Chicago. 
And I always tell people, they say, where are you from? And I say, Chicago, and it's a great place to be from. <laughs> but I was born in Chicago and raised in the suburbs. And, and I'm here to tell you something this morning that's not a holy city. That's not a holy city. In fact, you grow up there knowing what parts of the city you can be in certain times of day and night and which ones to stay out of certain times of day or night if you value your very life. And when I think of this city is going to be a holy city, it's going to be a pristine city, it's going to be a beautiful city. The song says, our alabaster cities undeemed by, hu un, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Undimmed by human tears. Wow. That's not describing any city I know anything about down here on this earth. And in flying, you fly over some of these cities like, say, Chicago or New York, and you fly over them at night and you land or you take off from there and you look down and it glistens with all the lights. And yes, those are alabaster-looking cities, but uh, shed the daylight on it. And there's parts of Chicago down, take your pick, the Dan Ryan, the Eisenhower, the Kennedy where it seems like you can go for mile after mile after mile with run-down slums on both sides. And we're talking about cities, the metroplex of which is over 10 million people in some cases. I've raised in a place like that. I, uh, honestly, when I grew up there, I used to feel sorry for people in the city. I thought, well, what do they do? Or, or in the country. I, I thought, what do they do? And then I got to live in the country. And I look back at the city and I go, what do they do? <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to be out of ways? So, oh, Boise in the congestion. <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, not in my lifetime anyways. We got a long way to go. I've lived in little one-horse towns, first town we pastored in, in Shalakta, Pennsylvania. I remember candidating there. Shalakta, Pennsylvania had a population of 120. We were going from the Chicago area, 8 million people, where I worked with a guy for several years to you know, help him get a church going, and uh, we were going to go to Shalakta with 120 people. I remember that Saturday night standing in front of the church building and saying to the Lord, Lord, okay. But where are the people? <laughs> where are the people? I mean, this town, uh, this town was a southwest Pennsylvania town about 70 miles east of Pittsburgh. And it had two Presbyterian churches, our little startup Baptist church, a post office, and three gun shops. <laughs> Tell what kind of town it was. If you drove through it and blinked, you'd miss it. And I've lived in little towns like that. I've, I've lived here for over 30 years. You know what? This has been a nice place to live. But you know something? It's still not a holy city. One of these days, New Jerusalem will be a holy city. Everything about it will be holy. Everything about it will be wholesome. There will be no corruption, whether in government or among the citizens. It will be a holy city. You say, what is it? It's New Jerusalem. Notice verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. In verse 3, I see a new presence. A new presence. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, wherein dwelleth righteousness. A new presence. The presence of God. Imagine this world being filled with the presence of God. Imagine this world not having unclean spirits. Imagine this world not having devils. In Martin Luther's song, it goes, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His craft and power are great. 
and armed with cruel hate. And on this, in this world is not his equal. Folks, Martin Luther was aware of it. We live in a world crawling with the wicked. Uh, Paul, Paul, Paul talked about uh, this, this ungodly world, this present evil world. When I look at verse 3, I see a whole new presence wherein dwelleth righteousness. If you've had any spiritual warfare, if you've come up against the powers of darkness, if you've had to resist temptation, you can appreciate what verse 3 says. Imagine living in a place where the presence of God is everywhere. You know, once in a while in a church service, maybe during a song service or preaching or whatever, everything just kind of comes together and you, and you walk away and you say to yourself, you know what? God was there today. God was there today. I sense some of that going on this morning. And you know, that's my prayer all the time. I hope it's your prayer as well. I, I, I always pray uh, that you'll be here. I, I, I told the guys on the platform, uh, 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 Brother Dan and Brother Paul up here, I, I said, I want to let you know something. If I ever am just up here standing one day uh, during the song service and my eyes get real big and then I suddenly have a heart attack and fall over and die, let me tell you the reason why ahead of time. It's because everybody was here. <laughs> In 40-something years, it's never happened. I go home with my wife in the car, and I go, where was so-and-so? And she goes, why are you worried about so-and-so? What about so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so that we're here? <laughs> we do that to ourselves sometimes, don't we? But I, I think of being in a place where there's the presence of God. And, and you know what? I, I pray you'll be here, and, and I pray God helps me to preach but you want to know something? Uh, given the choice between having God here in the service and stumbling through the message or just bringing the house down and preaching eloquently, but he's nowhere around, I'll take the former over the latter. Because in the end, you know who we need more than anybody else? We need him. We come and we need him. Oh, it's great to be with the brethren. The fellowship is good. It's encouraging. Hey, isn't it good to know there's others like you? You know, I think that's an underappreciated part about going to church. You go to church with other Christians, and it's verification that you're not the only weirdo out there that thinks differently from everybody else. You're not the only person that sees all the evil and the wicked, <coughs> and you don't like it. While others seem to be just kind of swimming in it and loving it. It's good to be with others that are like-minded of like precious faith. But folks, more than anything else, we need his presence. And it won't it be wonderful to be in a place where his presence prevails. Notice number four. Look at verse four. And notice in verse four what he says. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I see in verse 4, a new day. A new day. You know what some of you need this morning? You know what some of you are looking for this morning? You're looking for a new day. You're looking for a new day. I, I don't blame you. I don't blame, blame you. Uh, been there. Done that. And I got a couple of the t-shirts. And, and you know, you read the book of of lamentations the bible says his his mercies are are new every morning they're new every morning uh, this is the day the lord hath made we will be glad and rejoice in it and and by the way whatever you're going through uh, this morning happiness is a choice happiness is a choice don't let circumstances dictate your happiness but i know this morning some of you are going through it I picked up this article in this paper. It was uh, kind of a man about the country uh, journalism. He took a trip around uh, the Southwest and the West, spent about a month just interviewing people, uh, farmers, businessmen, uh, white-collar, blue-collar, country, city. 
And uh, he, just, he just wrote little short bios of about a, about a dozen of them. And you know what I saw over and over and over again? I saw people that lost loved ones. I saw some people that lost loved ones. Some lost adult children. Some lost little children. Some lost their parents that were near and dear to them. Some, while they were going through all that, business has been tough ever since COVID. Some going through bankruptcy. One farmer in Arizona, they don't know if they'll ever be able to plant crops on this particular ranch of theirs. It's been in the family from generations because of the drought. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And you say, what is that? Looking for a better day. Looking for a new day. You know what? Sometimes when you're going through it, deep valleys of darkness and difficult tribulation, as Peter would say, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. You know, sometimes you just got to take it a day at a time, put one foot in front of the other, maybe take it an hour at a time, and then say to yourself, I'm going to find a better day. I'm going to find a better day. And you know what? You know what this tells me in verse 4? One of these days, we're all going to find a new day. We're all going to find a new day. Uh, we need to pray for Heidi Holt and the Urquharts. You know why? They need a new day. We need to pay, pray for Kevin and Shiloh Byer. You know why? They need a new day. I, I was over there just before Christmas to deliver a couple little things to Pat and Gabby and uh, got to see Pat for a few minutes. And you know what Pat and Gabby have needed for a long time? They need a new day. And you know what God's going to give little Gabby someday? And you know what God's going to give Pat someday taking care of little Gabby? He's going to give them both a new day. He's going to give them a new day when there's no tears. He's going to give them a new day where there's no death. He's going to give them a new day where there's no sorrow. He's going to give them a new day where there's no crying. He's going to give them a new day where there's no pain. He's going to give them a new day. Are you ready for this? The former things are passed away. You got some things you'd like to forget? The former things are passed away. My wife and I were reading this verse uh, this week, and I was going through this, and God was just kind of giving me this message. And I talked to her about verse 4, and uh, <clears throat> she started tearing up. And I started tearing up. You say, why? We both know a lot of people that are looking for a new day. We know a lot of people that are bearing some very heavy burdens. And uh, we've gone through it with some of you this morning. And you were going through a tough time, and, and God gave you a better day, didn't he? He, he? he gave you a better day. I'm, I'm thinking of my oldest daughter and, um, and, and all those years with Chloe and, and what they went through. And, and now they got adopted that little boy. I call him Lefty. And now they just adopted a little girl. I call her Screechy. And she, is, she can break glass, that little girl. And I think of that phrase in Scripture, he maketh the barren woman to be the joyful mother of children. But you want to know something? When it happens in this life, it's still subject to go the other way again, isn't it? Amen? I mean, Job said it, we're born into trouble as what? Sparks fly upward. But one of these days, folks, one of these days, we're going to have a new day. And, and that new day is going to include all tears being wiped away. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain, and the former things passed away. What do you think? What do you think? A new day. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Look at the next new thing. He said, and I sat upon the throne. He that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write. For these words are true and faithful. What do I see in verse 5? I see a new assurance. I, I see a new assurance. Uh, you know what? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that we're new creatures in Christ. And that makes us new within. But what this means now is everything will be new without. A new assurance. His word hangs on for us. Sometimes we think we got to hang on to God. But let me tell you something this morning. If you're a child of God, he's hanging on to you. And notice he says, I make all things new. <coughs> Excuse me. Now I want you to think of a distinction here. He says, I make all things new versus I make all new things. That's why I said earlier, he is going to make 
a new heavens and a new earth. He's dissolving them. He's going to make a new thing, but with us, our bodies, he's going to make all things new. He's going to take these bodies and make them new. He's not going to eliminate us. Let me tell you something. Your loved one that's rotting in a grave right now is going to come up with a glorified resurrection body. And it's going to be that body transformed. If your body annoys, annoys you as much as mine annoys me sometimes, rest assured that someday God's going to change it into a perfect resurrection body. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All things new. A new assurance. Folks, God gives us assurance about these things. You know, once in a while I step back and I just think to myself, DeMichael, why do you even ever have a bad day? DeMichael, why do you even worry about anything? When I look at God's assurance in verse 5, Folks, he's got it all under control. Whether it's your life, your family, your neighbors, your job, your finances, your health, this community, our country, or the whole world, he's got it under control, folks. And in verse 5, he gives us a new assurance. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. In verse 6, I see a new invitation. Take a look at Revelation chapter 22, just one page over. Revelation chapter 22. And look at verse 17. The Bible says, in the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life, what? Freely. Not sparingly, but freely. You know what this is? This is a new invitation. This is an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you could use a new name. Maybe your name right now is alcoholic. Maybe your name right now is drug addict. Maybe your name right now is sexual deviant. Maybe your name right now is liar. Maybe your name right now is angry and bitter. Maybe your name right now is lonely and depressed. Maybe your name right now is just plain and simple lost. You know what God wants to call you this morning if you'll trust his son as your savior? He wants to call you found. He wants to call you at peace. He wants to call you hopeful. He wants to call you blessed. He wants to call you child of God. He wants to call you forgiven. He wants to call you fruitful. He wants to call you eternally secure in Jesus Christ. You know what I see here? I see a new invitation. I see a new invitation. He's, he's inviting us this morning. Have you responded to that invitation? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. And then look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Here's another one. The Bible says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, when you really get down to it, I was putting up the... The decorations and uh, we, we took a couple trips in November and early December and so I, I didn't really get to do as much decorating as I wanted to do but we put a, some lights up in the front a few little things and I I remember you know as an adult I don't know about you but sometimes some of this can get a little annoying you know you're in the wind trying to get this light to stay here the snowman kept blowing down he was just a he uh, was a flat snowman. He wasn't a real snowman. And the wind would catch him and flatten him. And I'm driving stakes in trying to keep him down. And the wind's blowing and it's cold. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? And then one word came to mind. Children. It's about kids. It's about the kids coming over. It's about the grandkids coming over. It's about the, the kids' enjoyment of it. Uh, you know, if you're an adult here this morning, you haven't figured this out. <clears throat> 
the time for being a kid is over with. We have a generation of older people trying to act like kids. You know what you need to do? Enjoy the kids' enjoyment. Enjoy the kids' enjoyment. And I got thinking of this inheritance, and I got thinking of kids opening Christmas gifts. Kids opening Christmas gifts. Little ones, you ever see them? They just get all excited, and they're standing there bouncing up and down. They're just so excited. And you know what? That's what we're going to be like when we get our inheritance. It's going to be like little kids at Christmas time. Their eyes just sparkling, all that hope and anticipation and all of that excitement. And I'll be honest with you, as I look at verse 7, and as I've studied this out chapter by chapter and verse by verse and cross-reference from the Old Testament into the New and tried to figure all this out, I still don't understand what it means to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I still don't get it. Because he owns everything. Does that mean as a child of God, we're going to own everything with him? Wow. And you know what's the wildest thing about it? You read your New Testament carefully. Do you realize the number one inheritance that Jesus Christ has, the number one inheritance that Jesus Christ wanted is you and I. You and I. We are the biggest part of his inheritance. Why would he want us? What kind of deal is that? You know what that is? That's his love, folks. That's his love for you and I. But I look at a new inheritance here. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, all things, and I will be his God, and folks, in the end, and he shall be my son, and really, when you get down to it, more than things, more than stuff, more than planets, more than solar systems even, more than worlds. Just that relationship with him. And all things will be new. I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. When all of our mistakes and all of our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. That's the place, folks. That's the place, and that's the inheritance. And then lastly, if you look at verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And lastly, I see a new warning, a new warning for those that don't know Christ as their personal Savior. Can I encourage you, admonish you, beg you, implore you to start the new year with the new birth? Don't wait. Don't wait. Well, you know, some of you maybe this morning, you've heard it your whole life. Others, it may be just recently. But whatever the case may be, none of us know if we're going to live tomorrow. None of us have a, a, a lease on life. I was uh, looking at a, in an article that came to me by way of email the other day, and it talked about celebrities that died in 2022. Okay, whatever, celebrities. And a lot of them were in their 70s and 80s and 90s, some in their 60s, a few in the 50s, and then there were a couple of them, 30s, 20s. Nobody has a lease on life. Nobody signs off and gets a guarantee. If you don't know as Christ is your personal Savior, you look at verse 8, and the Bible says that the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. James says we can all find ourselves in that list. Because James tells us if we, have, if we keep the whole law and offend in one point, we are guilty of all. How many crimes does it take to be a criminal? It only takes one. And we all find ourselves here this morning. Take your Bibles and just flip over one page. Go to Revelation 22, verse 11. Notice what he says here in the very last chapter of the Word of God in verse 11. He says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. What is John saying here as the book wraps up? What is John saying here as judgment is finished? What is John saying as there's a new heaven and a new earth? He's saying, it's all over now. If you're lost, that's the way you're going to stay. If you're saved, that's the way you're going to stay. 
Right now you have a choice. Right now you have a choice. Someday you won't. Look at chapter 20, just one chapter before. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Do you know, as I look at this chap, at, at this uh, portion of Scripture, and I come to the end of the Bible at the end of the year in my Bible reading, and I think of Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of the Bible, God talks about creation. And then you get to the very last verse of the Bible. Ch take a look at chapter 22, and look at the very last verse, verse 21, and notice how God ends this. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And, and when I think of this, the first and the last verse, I think of the history uh, of man's struggle with sin. From Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book and how appropriately God ends it with the grace of God. That tells me God wants to redeem you. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be saved. There was an ancient custom in Asia Minor at the time that John wrote this. And in some places, when a man was acquitted in court, he would be given a stone. Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. Revelation 2, verse 17, the Bible says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And, and it was a symbolic thing. The acquitted man would get this white stone, and engraved in it would be a new name, symbolizing a new start, a new beginning an acquittal from all of his crimes. And I think this morning that God gives us a final warning here. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I think I'll take a couple of minutes this morning. I debated doing this, but it's, it's, it's such a powerful narrative that I think it will inspire us as believers to be diligent in our soul-winning efforts. And maybe if you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe, maybe you'll take it a little more seriously, but it's, it's called your first six days in hell. Most vacations include an itinerary. You have an idea what you will see and do before you arrive at your destination. The Bible has enough information to project an itinerary for those whose destination is hell. Let's look at the first six days. Day one. The trip originates at the gate of death. Since departures are made daily, you are called upon to begin your trip on short notice. Since the journey is only one way, there is no need to concern yourself with return plans. Your initial point of departure may prove more than a little frightening as you suddenly realize the finality of your destination. The trip itself will leave you with little time to contemplate what awaits. As you pass through the doorway of death, you will notice almost immediately that your decision or your direction is taking you away from the light toward what appears to be complete and utter darkness. With each passing moment, the darkness becomes more intense. At first, the absence of light is only annoying, but you feel it becoming more and more ominous and threatening. The intensity of the darkness is only matched by the absence of any joyful music or any sounds, no laughter, no sounds of merriment. As you move farther, faint sounds of moaning and wailing become detectable. They seem to be coming through the darkness from every direction. You become aware of a faint light. It flickers like a flame, yet thick clouds of black smoke dance all around it, keeping the flame from casting off any real hope of light. Suddenly you find yourself obsessed to know what day and hour it is. Already it feels like you've been here in eternity, and it's only day one. Day two. The continuing darkness is stifling. It's as if something is lurking in the veil of night that surrounds you. You yell, you threaten, you even plead, but to no avail. Whatever it is just stays there, producing fear like you've never known before. As your eyes struggle to adjust to the dark, you become aware of a new sensation, the heat. 
It's right at the edge of unbearable, hot and searing, intolerable heat. Your body craves water. You'd give anything for a drink, and you try unsuccessfully to push that desire out of your mind. The air is thick, choking, and miserable, and it's just day two. Day three. At least you think it's day three. It seems like it has already been forever. You've not been able to sleep. You still can't believe you're here. Where are the friends you thought you would see? The knowledge that they would be there too brought you some comfort in your lifetime. Where is the fun you thought you would have? The parties. It isn't at all like you were led to believe. You stumble upon a group of others. You pour out a litany of questions. As they open their mouths, no words come out. Only the sounds of weeping and wailing. Some in the group don't even try to respond. They gnash their teeth as though in some invisible pain. You wonder when this nightmare will end. You wonder why somebody can't make it stop. And yet it's only day three. Day four. How you wish you could send a message to those you left behind. You'd warn them about this place. You'd tell them what it's really like so that they'd never come. The thought of your loved ones coming to a place like this is unbearable. You can't help but think back upon that day when you made your decision to come here. You understood that your rejection of Jesus meant that you would spend eternity in hell. But it didn't really seem that important or real then. Looking back, you think how foolish you were to reject God's offer of salvation. You wish you could choose again. You find yourself hoping that your loved ones will choose differently even though you realize that such a choice means you'll never see them again, never touch them, never speak to them. What a horrible realization, and it's only day four. Day five, you become acutely aware of the absence of any good in this place. There's no love, for God is love. There's no joy or peace or goodness because all of those come from God too. There's nothing sacred, nothing holy, nothing of God anywhere to be found. You're amazed at how evil evil can be. For the first time since your arrival, you begin to sense the great gulf that is fixed between you and where God is. The span is beyond your comprehension as you try to realize the degree of distance that will separate you from God and those who choose to serve him. God is on the other side of that gulf. God's uh, loved ones in Christ are on the other side of that gulf. What a lonely realization. Day six. Through the darkness, you saw a new face today, a new arrival. He stopped to speak with you. You could see the terror in his eyes. He asked the questions that you had been asking only days before. You opened your mouth to reply, but all that would come out was the sound of weeping and wailing. You've just spent your first six days in hell. Unfortunately, an unholy, unhappy eternity stretches out before you, all because you rejected Jesus Christ. But wait, the fact that you're reading this, the fact that you're hearing this, says you still have a chance. It's interesting, but uh, my wife and I haven't watched this movie in the longest time, but The Christmas Carol. We all know the story. Charles Dickens, Scrooge, Christmas past, Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. You know what I like about that story? He wakes up in the end with a chance to get it right. And you know what? This morning, without Jesus Christ, if you die, what I just read, that will be you and so much more that we don't know. But the good news is you did wake up this morning. The good news is you are still alive. The good news is whether you're sitting here or looking in live stream, you can still trust Christ as your personal Savior. And God can make you a new creation in Him and give you an entirely new life and give you the hope of eternal life up in a new heaven. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And just examining our own hearts, not somebody else. But let's ask ourselves the important question. Have I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? Do I have the new birth? Am I a new creature in Christ? Am I saved? If not, 
You can do it today. It's a new year. Why not start the new year with a new birth? Heavenly Father, we pray for those without Christ this morning. And Father, I, I know that track's not inspired. It's, it's, it's not Bible, but it's biblical. And every time I read it, Father, I, I, I just fear and tremble for the lost, Lord. Help us as believers to leave this place today and not fear the face of man, but to love people that are lost enough to get past their sneers, their rejections, their arguments, their objections, maybe even just their indifference. And, and gently and patiently and kindly and firmly with courage and conviction, give them the gospel, draw the lines that need to be drawn, risk the relationship, and if it takes days, weeks, months, years, even decades to persist, because without Christ, what we looked at this morning, Lord, is just the tip of the iceberg. We can only imagine. Father, give us a soul winner's burden and a soul winner's heart, and help us we, to, to do what we can, by all means that we can in this new year, to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a relative we haven't had the courage to witness to. Maybe it's a neighbor across the street that we just haven't had the gumption just to get over there and talk to them and give them a track and invite them to church or whatever the case may be, Lord, whatever it is, help us, Lord. Light a fire under us. And then help us, Lord, to be appreciative and thankful for all the new things you've given us. What a, what a wonderful list, Father, and there's so much more in your word. May we, may we go into 2023 a, a grateful, thankful people filled with your praise, your glory, and your honor, for you are deserving. And Lord, we do pray for that one this morning, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, help each of us, but especially that one without Christ. Father, pray that even right now they would acknowledge their sinfulness before you and they would believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for their sins and they would believe that after three days and three nights he rose from the dead on their behalf and that you promised in your word whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved may they bow their heads and their hearts even right now and receive your love gift for them. Salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, may they receive that gift today. For those of us that have received it, help us to proclaim it far and wide that the gift is still available. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Take our hymnals and turn to number 623, a new name and glory, number 
Brother Joe Pasola, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? And uh, we don't have service tonight. Spend some good quality time with your family. And God bless you and have a great new year. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just so grateful to you this morning, Lord, that you have given us so many new things, dear Lord. And Lord, there's nothing old ahead of us, Father. Everything is new ahead of us, Father. And because of Christ Jesus, and we're so thankful, Lord, for what you did on the cross for us to give us these new things. We pray, Lord, today, Father, for anybody here that does not have anything new ahead of them. Father, maybe they have not received Christ. We pray that, Lord, they would not leave here today before talking to someone and, and asking them about Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. Lord, bless our week as we return Wednesday night. We'll thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.